Hello, my friends, and welcome to New Thoughts, a podcast with David Alexander, where we seek to explore dimensions of consciousness, new thought, social emerging realities, and so much more. I am delighted today to be welcoming a new friend, uh, Reverend Felicia Parazader, uh, to New Thoughts to talk with us today. She's a self-described radical sacred activist uh, traveling around the world and throughout the United States, uh, advocating for justice for all people. She's the founder of Revolution Revolution of Love, a ministry which focuses on inner work and outer work in the world through teachings of nonviolence. Her ministry has met over 150 times in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, and in the Los Angeles area. She has worked extensively with uh, the drug and alcohol uh, field, people in recovery, uh, young people, old people, uh, just recently uh, teaching at Simi Valley Center for Spiritual Living. And I saw her and met her at the Parliament of the World's Religions in Toronto, Canada uh, last year. Would you please help me welcome Reverend Felicia Parazader. All right. Welcome, Reverend Felicia Perazader. Zader? Zader. Did I get it right? Oh, my. <laughs> did I do it right? Yes, you did. You did. The first time. Perazader. Reverend yeah. Felicia, welcome to New Thoughts uh, podcast with David Alexander. We're excited that you're here. Uh, so, you. I, you know, one of the things I love doing is just introducing new people uh, to audiences that I have. Uh, I, I really love introducing new innovative thinkers to the new thought audience and uh, and vice versa, and then just see where those uh, connections go. It's something I've been doing my whole life and uh, something that uh, I'm continuing to do through this podcast and through my official work in different capacities with new thought organizations. And so... Uh, uh, you are a, a bit of a new face, a new name to, I think, most New Thought communities, but not all. And so welcome again. And let's just start with, uh, tell us about yourself. Where did you come from? Uh, I'll, I'll ask you the question that everybody asks me when they, whenever they see a young person. So everybody listening, uh, I don't know how old you are, but she's a, <laughs> she's a young, dynamic, beautiful uh, person uh, in ministry. And the question that I always get is, why ministry? Like, how did that happen? Let's start there. (laughs) So, uh, yes, to keep it brief, when I was five, no, I'm kidding. It all began many years ago. No, um, so I'm 44. I'll be 45 this August. Um, And yeah, kidding aside, let's see. uh, I I come from the music business, which is interesting because, Usually, I'm not sure the music business breeds a, a lot of ministers, although I know that Grace Slick's daughter, Grace Slick from Jefferson Airplane, she's a minister. There you so, go. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And she's very involved in social justice work. So I guess, yes, we're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, a little bit about myself. I'm an ordained interfaith minister, but I've always resonated with New Thought. Um, I got very involved with a government center in Los Angeles, wanted my recovery, uh, my healing journey, which began... Uh, about 20 years ago. Mm. So, and uh, prior to that, you know, why ministry? Let's see. I mean, really, uh, I had so many struggles. I had so many challenges hit me. And I, I think for me, it was in such a short amount of time mm. in the sense it was a good 12 years of really intensive, uh, I guess, pain uh, around like, 
yeah, they were age like 13 or so. Um, certainly things were going on before that in, in my childhood and everything. But once that age hit, um, I just really struggled and I had a whole bunch of different addictions and come up and, you know, David, it was, <laughs> uh, get addicted to substances or get an eating disorder. It, it's not like that. You know, there's mm-hmm. reasons why people do what they do. And so once I was able to have a moment of clarity, once that moment happened, then everything changed. And I, you know, like I said, I got on that healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard. It was really hard at first. Oh yeah. But, but, um, once I was on the path for a couple of years, and this is a story I tell a lot, it's known as my Carl's junior moment. Um, <laughs> I, I was, yeah, this is the Carl's Jr.'s moment story. So I, I was like going on 28 years of age and I went to Carl's Jr. on my birthday. I was at the drive through window and this man who appeared to be homeless asked me for a cigarette and I didn't, I didn't have any more on me. And in that moment he looked at me and he said, this is killing me. Um, I had told him that I was clean and that I, you know, I didn't want to do any drugs or or whatever. So what he shared with me was, is that he used to be somebody that he hadn't seen his wife and his son in many, many years. And all I could think to say was don't give up, give up. There's hope. Mm, Um, And I have to say that went on for several minutes, that conversation. Uh, When I pulled away from there, I was truly, I was changed. And there was something in me that knew that I was supposed to speak and write and that this somehow was going to serve people that there were were so many different things that I'd gone through that, um, that would be of value to people. I also knew the next day in the morning when I woke up and thought, okay, what am I talking about? I I must be crazy. Um, that I also had a lot more work to do. Yeah. Sure. Cause I was only a couple years in at that point on my uh-huh. healing. And I really want to highlight that because the inner work is so important to, to take the time to do our inner work. Yes. Uh, yes. That's real spiritual jujitsu. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. and so, yeah. And, and I, I, let's lift that up a minute, you know, cause that's a beautiful story, right? This man was your, your angel, you know, in that moment, the breakthrough to, to, and, and many of us have been blessed and lucky enough to have such a moment that, that, uh, something wakes us up and, and makes us realize that the journey that we've been on, uh, has, has gifts in it, even in the pain and, uh, that we can, that we can use our voice and use our journey to help others. That's a really beautiful thing. And, Certainly that I would imagine that moment is uh, invigorating, exciting, uh, empowering. And you're thinking, okay, this is it. I, I found my purpose, right? Here we go. And, and what you're lifting up here is, is as important as that is, that that's not it. You know, that's not like that. That doesn't suddenly qualify you. You know, uh, you, you, we all still have a whole lot more work to do after that moment. Uh, training and yes. inner work and study and and you know you don't just have that moment and then get on the speaking tour, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Not on the circuit, you know. Right. On the tour. And, and Not then, opening for Tony Robbins because you met this guy at Carl's Jr. <laughs> yeah, and um, 
Cause, and that would be scary. Honestly, that would be alarming if, if, because, and I maybe, yeah, I guess I'll be a little edgy here and say that how many times do we see people maybe to not, you know, that extreme, but people that, um, haven't done that work. Right. And they're in this, uh, they're, they're in ministry and, um, all sorts of things can happen. Forms of spiritual abuse. Yes. And maybe, you know, maybe not to others, but to themselves, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, or codependence goes awry. I mean, there are so many things that can go on. So I'm really grateful that at the time I was already in 12 step for a while, like I said, and then I had a wonderful therapist and Mm -hmm. she kind of, and I told her my, and with my, you know, in all of my exuberance, excitement, like, no, you don't understand. It's going to be great. I'm going to be speaking and I'm going to be writing. I just know it to be true. And she goes, yes. It was, you know, she was like, one. she was like, yes. And now we train. And now we train. Yeah. And it, and it bothered me that, that she was saying that. And at the same time, I was totally willing. It was like, yeah, yeah let's, that let's lean and grow. It's, you know, why not? That's, it's exciting. I don't want to be the same person I was six months ago. So yeah. it's, it was all good. It just, it it's, yeah, I had to get back to school. I mean, to do all of the different things and, and I continue to, I continue yep. to work with a spiritual director and all of that. So that's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. That's, I, I just, you know, I didn't expect that to, to come out of our opening uh, question here, but that's such an important thing, you know, like, so anybody who's listening, you know, wherever you are on the journey, uh, because what I know, particularly about ministry, but I certainly, uh, well, uh, you know, this has been my career. It's been my life. Uh, but what I know about ministry is, it will bring up your shadows, like being in the public eye, being in the fishbowl. If you happen to be a minister in a pulpit uh, with a community or any other form of ministry, uh, it will bring up your stuff. And if you, man, and if you have not done your work, like, you know, yeah, get ready. Yeah. Get ready to do it, do it in public in front of everyone, you know, and it's, and, and if you're not, and, and then if you resist that, that's really where the, the abuse and, and codependency and some really ugly things, you know, uh, unfortunate things can happen. So, uh, so yes, to everybody listening, do your work wherever you are, do your work. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, uh, you, you have been doing your work and you have been then out in the world articulating, uh, your passion for justice. And, um, and so tell me about the, the, intersectionality of your work. So we know about this, you know, call to speaking and to ministering and you went, um, you did your own inner work. And then now how does that emerging and expressing outward as the, the flavor of the work that you bring? Cause you didn't go to like, uh, you said an interfaith seminary, but it's not like you are, you're not uh, UCC or MCC or CSL or any other alphabet. <laughs> um, right. All the letters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Yeah. I, I went to the chaplaincy Institute, which is in Berkeley Mm -hmm. program with star King actually. Wonderful program. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had decided to go there. I had thought about Harvard divinity. And Mm -hmm. then when I checked out the chaplaincy Institute, it just deeply, deeply resonated for me. Uh, I realized that, you know, I am an eclectic, I'm a generation Xer. So 
a lot of Generation Xers, I think, ended up either as nuns, N-O-N-E's, right, or just uh, spiritual eclectics. So I, I, I chose that path. And I didn't mention, you know, there was another moment, and that was in 2009, and that took place at School of the Americas in Fort Benning, Georgia, because by 2009, I'd already found my way um, into activism. I'd already been deeply involved in social justice work. So there I am at this beautiful vigil. Father Roy Bourgeois uh, does this every year, um, and and it's a vigil against torture, which they teach torture tactics there. Mm. And so what I had seen in my mind's eye in this November, this 2009 was a place where people could come together from various faith traditions or no faith tradition and under the umbrella of nonviolence. And I thought, well, how do we make nonviolence exciting? Uh, Cause a lot of times people, yeah. it's just not, I'm sorry to say as much as I love it, I'm an oddity. I, I, right. <laughs> I know that. So, so that was really the, the birth of, this vision of revolution of love, which mm-hmm. is the ministry mm-hmm. I launched then in 2012. Mm-hmm. So right after I was ordained, that that vision became a reality. Um, a lot of people went on, you know, to to you know get their own pulpit at, at say a Methodist church or wherever. But for mm-hmm. me, this was really I I just felt very strongly about this about bringing together from faith background and like I said the umbrella, or maybe I should say the bedrock being nonviolence. So that is how I started, you know, specifically finding, finding my, or like forging ahead, um, my work. And, um, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, um, another interesting thing to lift up, I'm a Gen Xer as well, uh, 43 at the, at the moment. And, um, you know, there's something about that eclectic nature of Gen Xers where we are, we are bridges, you know, we're, we're the bridge generation between the baby boomers and, and the millennials. And there's a lot in our media, there's a lot of focus on, you know, the, the boomers, uh, both past and present and what's emerging for them. And, and when they were young and then now the millennials and the and millennials are, um, when I think of, young people in the streets and some of the social movements that are happening. Millennials are often at the, at the heartbeat of a lot of that. Uh, and there's a, I don't want to sound old, but you know, there's a, there's an energy that sometimes is carried with these new emerging movements that is very angry, right. That is very righteous is very, you know, you know, uh, you know, shaking the fist and, you know, baby boomers, you, you screwed it up. You didn't fix it and we're going to fix it. And, and while I certainly appreciate the enthusiasm and stand behind the, the, the values that, you know, are part of the, most of the revolution that's taking place. Um, there's something to this idea of nonviolence and peace building, um, that, that need and that wisdom of that, that needs to be integrated in there. So I really applaud you for this idea of how do we make nonviolence sexy? <laughs> how do we make it attractive? How do we make it appealing? Because most people are drawn to the work out of their anger, not out of their desire to make peace. Right. Well, and I, I, um, I'd love to share a brief story uh, really quickly here. I, when I really began to see this in the activist these activist circles, the anger that you speak of, it was actually even folks, you know, boomers, 
boomers. Sure. I had gone to the Middle East. This was what year? Eight, 2008 or 2009. I was in Israel, Palestine. And I know that's a contentious issue. Um, I was there with Code Pink, a women-led organization. Yep. And um, what I saw on both ends was immense trauma. Israelis and Palestinians, trauma. And, and so to see this cycle of violence going on was really interesting. And then to see the activists that this group I was with, not all, but some literally replicating out their childhood wounding. Like as we're at, yes. a, a, you know, a, a protest on a Friday with Palestinian folks joining them in solidarity, seeing people acting out their childhood wounding and replicating that. And that, David, is when I really began, again, going back to this inner work and then this anger. And I thought, my gosh, there is no place for it in this moment at a protest. And I also recognize that that's a very privileged kind of self-righteous statement on my end. Mm -hmm. So holding all of these pieces of truth is, is really challenging. I know for some, but it'd be that more exciting this revolution of love ministry idea would be because it would be both inner and outer work, but we cannot go off. We have to really take care of the roots of our tree, cleaning those roots out Otherwise, we are going to, you know, why are we at these protests? Or forget even if you're an activist, like how is that going to replicate in our own life, period? So as far as the anger that we see, I get it. If it's whether it's the, you know, folks that are older than myself or folks that are younger than myself, I get it and I do honor it. And I have found it like, how do we give it voice? And then how do we harness that anger? Like Gandhi used to talk about harness the anger. This is really tricky stuff. And this is, yeah. this is nonviolence. Like nonviolence is all about this. And that's why to me, like I said, it's terribly exciting because it's like, how do, how do we really engage the shadow and uh, engage this philosophy? So I love that you brought that up around the anger because look, it's there and I don't think we should, we should be scared of it. I think we should engage it and, um, and heal it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you brought in, you know, privilege, which I think is also another important thing to lift up because it is, it is something for you and I as, um, you know, um, white, um, you know, uh, privileged individuals to, 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 to speak to the revolution, the social revolutions that are taking place and say, this is how we need to do it. Um, and, and what I don't hear you saying, and certainly I'm not saying is that anger doesn't have its place. Because it certainly does, right? It's a fuel, it's an energy. Um, and there are plenty of things to be, um, good and angry about, (laughs) right? (laughs) There's plenty of things to be good and angry about. Um, and it's about understanding how to use that emotionality, uh, in our own healing and also in, uh, then advocating for, you know, a better world. Uh, I often talk about the, I, I go to some regular meetings here in, in the Portland area with police officers and justice advocates and clergy, and we sit at a common table and we dialogue with each other about what's happening in the community. And sometimes the 
conversations can be very intense. Um, we have a facilitator, a Baptist minister, who does a very good job of keeping us grounded and on on track and respectful yeah. of each other. Um, and often we talk, we go around the room and we say, what brings you to the table? And I very often answer that question and I say, it's, it, for me, it's my two sons. I have two um, African-American sons. My wife is from Zambia. Um, her first son um, is 14, was born in Zambia. Uh, and then my first son is two and was born here. And so what brings me to the table is is this timeline of watching and, and looking and seeing the world that is awaiting my 14-year-old tall 6'1" you know, black son, male, right? Um, big figure and, and all of the things that that brings up. He's going to be driving soon. He's going to be outside of the reach of, of the protection of his family on a daily basis. And, and so I have all those things going on in my head about the world that's awaiting him and some anger around some of that stuff and, and the dangers and, and the realities of that. And then I look at my two-year-old and, and so my work is about how do I make a difference in that gap so that when the two-year-old becomes 14, um, has anything changed? And that's what brings me to the table. Uh, and, and sometimes there is anger in that, you know, there's, there's a, a sense of passion and we got to fix this and we got to fix this now. And that's, that has its place. Um, yes. and, it, and it's all about doing the inner work and, and healing, uh, from the inside out. Yes. I, I think that the difference is I think of the word unwieldy, um, the word unwieldy, if it's this unwieldy, uh, sort of anger, then that's when we can go off track. Right. Uh, but when it's harnessed, it really can be, like I said, this transformative force. So, yeah. So now I know you have spoken at some, some CSLs, uh, Simi Valley, uh, and I think you've done some work in the North Hollywood uh, area, and we have some some centers there. Uh, so tell me about what what where do you see? Let's talk about intersectionality with uh, new thought as you understand it and as you see it, and um, maybe what gifts you bring to the table of that, and and what you see going forward. Well, I don't know. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I. I, you know, I, I would have to say my, my biggest exposure is what I mentioned earlier. I, I attended Agape for many years and, um, it was what brought me back. Honestly. I mean, I, I hadn't gone into any kind of church or organized, you name it, like a yeah. building that uh -huh. was really scary for me. So yeah. Agape brought me, brought me back and made me realize, Oh, I could go anywhere. I could go to a church, a mosque, a temple, synagogue, whatever Beautiful. it might be. Um, Beautiful. It yeah. deeply resonates. And, um, I've been welcomed by CSLs and it, it's been a lovely relationship. It's relationship building at this point. And I also appreciate something that, that I'm seeing more and more down here in Los Angeles, that there are people questioning a certain aspect of new thought that can, that can happen. And I really emphasize and underline can, and that is the spiritual bypass that sometimes goes on. Oh, and, for sure. And so there's, it seems to me that there, cause that is something that I've noticed in, in my cursory experience of, of new thought. Um, and, and that is that there, 
and this, you know, this can happen. My goodness. I saw this in 12 step, this, this spiritual bypass questioning, questioning that and lifting that up and, and wrestling with it in a really important way. Yeah. So that's, that's something that's drawing me all the more closer because Mm -hmm. as you know, David, I'm, I'm a little bit more edgy and I'm, I'm a both and person, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm someone that's like, yes, God is all there is, you know, in this higher realm, God is all there is period. Mm -hmm. Love is, um, and, and with that, there is that part of like, look, when like myself, I've gone over to the middle East, I do a lot of street work, a lot of street ministry. It's like, okay, God is all there is. And there is someone here that is suffering and yeah. that's real too. Yeah. And I can't ignore that. That's you right. Know? That's right. And that's, yeah, where, where we are as a, when I say we, uh, you know, <laughs> Speaking on behalf of all of New Thought, but uh, since I've grown up and lived in this organization, um, most of my adult life have served it. Um, what I've noticed is that the organizations and I CSL Unity, uh, broader New Thought, independent New Thought, is really at a transition place of um, of deeper embodying. Uh, you know, deeper embodiment work of its principles. And there seems, there, there seems to be this polarity, right? And we know that in the universe of oneness, there isn't a polarity, but there seems to be a polarity of, um, of sort of the, um, the internal workings of personal, um, personal work, personal revelation, personal liberation, um, you know, just minding your own business, doing your own work kind of thing, uh, paradigm of wholeness. And on the other hand, the, the paradigm of oneness, uh, that we're connected to all things. We're connected to, uh, the person on the street outside of Carl's Jr. Or, um, we're connected to, uh, the suffering of the world. We're connected to the issues and of the environment and justice issues and all of that. Um, and so there seems to be this polarity between these two things and that, in sometimes in new thought, what is experienced is that you have to be, you're in one camp or the other, right? Mm-hmm. You're either in the oneness team and it's all about, we're one with everything around us. And so we got to get out there and, and express ourselves and fix it. And the other team is no, we're, we're wholeness embodied and we have to do our own work. And it really is. And this is why I wanted to talk with you and, and bring you on and expose you to uh, whoever's listening out there, uh, that it really is the intersection of those two things. And that the beauty of our principles, the beauty of the teachings of New Thought is that New Thought lives at the intersection of those two places, the intersection of doing your own work, understanding your own wholeness, and you are one with everything. And that includes the suffering, that includes the injustice, that includes the, the degradation of the earth and, and all of that. And all of those things can change when you bring your wholeness to it. Amen. You know, and that's what we're, that's what we're waking up to. And, but we need, we need people like you. We need, we need, um, passionate articulators of that vision. How do we do that? What does that mean in terms of our Sunday services or our own personal spiritual practice? How do we, how do we walk those two worlds, um, in a way in balance and with some enthusiasm and in a way that makes a difference, 
Um, right. And so it's an exciting time um, because exciting. there's new voices being raised up in that. That's really exciting. And, you know, at CSL uh, in Simi Valley just the other week, someone came up after and said, you know, I had no idea this would be such an exciting talk. I spoke about nonviolence. Yeah. And she said that and, and people were really ignited. And where my mind goes, I can't help but wonder, David, that I think, you know, people get, people are tired. There is compassion fatigue. Oh, I yeah. mentioned the word trauma, whether it's black and brown folks, you know, dying in the streets and then there's, or even white folks. Yes. People are feeling it. The struggle is real. I mean, and so this is where I love coming in because I am such, my teacher says this, one of my teachers says this about me. Like I have such a mother energy, you know, I have such that like coming alongside people and wanting to serve and uh, just help them heal. And, and I realized that, we have to just take a pause and step back and, and really, oh goodness, give room for the unprocessed grief that yeah. doesn't always get, like I said, to be processed and, and held and lived through. And so I, I think that when people might, if they are bypassing, I, I would venture to say some of it, there is reason. Okay. There's there, what maybe their psyches are protected them from the struggle and the suffering that is around. And so it's not to poke and prod. I mean, people perhaps need to live there and yeah, maybe use some spiritual principles to not feel it just yet. And then, you know, when they're ready, if they're ready, they'll come forward and, and get to deal with maybe those shadowy parts that, um, those fears, those scary places, or like I said, just plain compassion fatigue. Because I know a lot of, you know, well-meaning, you know, like spiritual white liberals that are just, they're overcome by, by a lot of, uh, and this is just white folks, I realize. Um, And I I know I'm talking a lot about race. It's just, it's, it's something that is coming up a lot, obviously. So it, I don't think they know what to do with it. I think all of that is, there's so much guilt. And, um, so it can find its way in, uh, to some of these communities where I've gone to speak and it is predominantly, you know, white people. And and that's where I'm seeing a lot of the bypass. So, you know, it's no judgment, no shame, no blame. It's like, okay, again, how do we come alongside that? And how do we heal that? And I, I wrote something the other day on social media, like, what is your biggest hurt? Go to it. Take it yeah. seriously. Listen to it. Be with it. Because that's, regardless of where we are uh, on the political spectrum or spiritual, whatever, that needs to, to be listened to and taken seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's uh, the beauty of what our movement can bring to the individual and then ultimately to society is that all of our centers, Unity, CSL, Independent New Thought, Agape Movement, all of them uh, as places of healing. 
as yeah. places of, of rest, as places of doing that inner work, places where you get to safely examine, you know, what's up for you and why is it there uh, and and move, hopefully move on the spectrum. What I talk about is uh, when I teach about this is the spectrum between privilege and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And be, and begin to, and it begins with an awakening. Ah, yes, I do have privilege, and and actually, it's a privilege for me to come to this church and to sit in my stuff. You know, that's a privilege. That is, yeah. And so, let me do that. You know, mm-hmm. let me leverage that privilege so that I can do my work and then move along the spectrum uh, to greater responsibility that I have in my connection with humanity. So, um, so here we are. So here we are. Happen, and that's what I think, you know, going to a service can look like is taking that pause, being prayerful, being intentional about, again, our, our inner work about our, uh, yeah, about our spiritual innards, if you will. And, <laughs> and then being able to go outside of, of that canopy and do the work. So Beautiful. it's very, it's, it's a very tenuous Thing. I mean, to, to balance all of that, this is not, you know, we're just little earthlings, <laughs> you know, we're divine and we are the divine. And at the same time, uh, yeah, we have all of our fragilities that come into play and by gosh, you know what? It's okay. There's, you know, earlier how do we that how do you, i forget how you put it it was it was just a little few minutes ago it's like some of it i think of the coyote you know that trickster energy really yeah. helps right you know <laughs> some comedy bringing in some humor and going you know what as rough as all of this is i'm going to find the joy in the midst of it absolutely absolutely so. well wow so i'm just so honored to get to know you more and to get to share you with everyone who's listening uh tell us how we can uh, find you and people can uh, follow your work so let's see feliciaparazader.com is my website um and from there you can click on the social media buttons that are there um you can friend me on facebook i do a lot of facebooking rev felicia parazader and um and yeah, send a, an email and I look forward to continuing conversations. Very good. Very good. Well, I do hope, uh, everybody out there will do that. Uh, Rev Felicia Parazader.com. Look her up on Facebook. And, uh, if you're connected to a CSL community, uh, put a word in her for a workshop, a guest speaker, uh, come and, uh, stir some of this energy up and let's, let's keep healing the planet by healing ourselves. Yes. Amen. All right. Until (laughs) next time. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.